Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hello, I'm Ovidiu uh, Dranga, Ambassador of Romania to Poland and future Ambassador of Romania to Japan. Um, I uh, recommend, uh, I strongly recommend the Visegrad Inside for its contribution to regional cooperation and diplomatic dialogue in Central Europe and beyond. How nice of you to join us again on the Visegrad Insight podcast. Um, today it's the 18th of May. Uh, it's a bit uh, gloomy and grey in Warsaw. And uh, my name is Quincy Klut, uh, Managing Editor of Visegrad Insight. I'm here with... Wojciech Przybylski, Editor-in-Chief. And uh, as you know by now, we'll uh, have a look at uh, some of the stories uh, of, of this week in, in Central Europe, Visegrad. And um, maybe let's start with Poland, uh, where there's not a new deal, not a green deal, but a Polish deal. Um, Wojciech, um, what's uh, what's going on there? So if I understand well, this is about uh, recovery funds, uh, money being spent uh, in the post-pandemic period, yes? There is a disagreement, and I think this is a fascinating disagreement as, as, as to what this uh, new Polish deal is all about. Uh, the critics would say it's a, it's a re-election program. It is the election campaign um, motive uh, that is likely to to carry the party uh, up until uh, the polls. Also, not all of the critics agree because uh, some point out that there is lack of communication consistency there. Apart from the fact that there is Polish uh, Polish deal, Pol Pols Polski Ład, as as the government has um, named it, the program is not so coherent as the previous electoral campaign programs. Uh, Kaczynski 5 was one of those. That was bringing a structure to the communicative effort of the government to carry the message up until the elections. In this case, we we see much more of, um, you would say, communication cover-up of, uh, of unpleasant fact that taxation needs to rise. It needs to rise for to, to, uh, um, to cover for the burdens of the of the economy, especially public finances, that, uh, that spend a lot of money, tremendous amounts of money. And we see inflation growth um, all across the board in all EU countries, but Poland is rising perhaps one of the, as one of the fastest. And, uh, and the government uh, need, needed more money to, uh, to support on, on one side a very uh, generous uh, welfare programs and to address it to their core groups of, of the electorate at, uh, and at the same time to, to, to generate revenues. Um, and so so in, instead of an ambitious investment plan, we definitely have an ambitious tax, uh, tax uh, raise. That is not going to be very popular, and this needed a, a pompatious nationalistic propaganda, Polski Wad, in the making. Now, um, this happens uh, in a very fortunate time for PIS, as the opposition uh, is uh, deepening divisions among them. The left uh, was supportive of the initiative of the Polish government, the new uh, the, the Polish uh, deal. And uh, the liberal part of it was very critical, uh, again, uh, civic platform. But civic platform is sinking in the opinion polls. Rafał Czaskowski, the, the close runner to the presidential, in the presidential race, started his own initiative. Now, on the, uh, you'd say, separately from, um, from, the, uh, from the party, 
uh, itself. So we will see. We will see what um, what this uh, all uh, mean uh, for also for a pot potential. Um, uh, shortening of the term it doesn't it doesn't seem likely it almost seems impossible to be happening this year in 2021 but uh, that cannot be excluded uh, for 2022 and uh, we will observe closely for the signs that uh, 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 election are actually coming earlier than expected but uh, that's Poland. And speaking of elections, there is uh, there is so much more happening. Actually, from from just recent weekend, we we heard and we covered in our weekly outlook uh, stories of of Hungary, um, new candidate for the prime minister uh, on the rise, and and also Czechia. Uh, yes, I mean uh, electoral season uh, also seems to be on the horizon in Czechia. Um, there's a high chance that next month there will be a no confidence vote uh, by the opposition um, uh, towards uh, the minority government led by Andrei Babish. Um, while this is not expected really to bring down the government, it is a sign that uh, things are heating up in, in Czechia and it's going to be an, an interesting battle there to see uh, how Anno holds up also against uh, some of the opposition. Interesting as well in Czechia is that uh, yeah there, there continues to be an aftermath and, and new developments regarding the the Verbetice affair um, with uh, with uh, Russian diplomats being expelled. Um, there's now also a special unit um, around uh, organized crime looking into the role of Deputy Prime Minister Hamacek, who uh, visited uh, Moscow just before the, the news about the affair was launched. And there are some suspicions uh, about his role also in perhaps covering it up or, or trying to find a deal which is now being investigated. Um, well, a quick note maybe also on, on Slovakia before we go to Hungary is that uh, there also uh, the coalition continues to show signs of instability in uh, particular when it comes to spending some of the recovery funds. We see that uh, Matovic uh, is announcing big ideas when it comes to decarbonization which don't seem to meet um, agreement of, of some of the other coalition members, uh, Richard uh, Schulich from Freedom and Solidarity in particular. So that could be interesting, could also show then maybe in the next couple of months, uh, this uh, this um, coalition might uh, might still have some some rough weather ahead. But uh, Wojciech, as you said, uh, yeah, maybe elections and and Hungary there is something uh, significant because the opposition has a candidate now to take it up against Viktor Orban. Yeah, um, uh, Mr. Karacin, mayor of Budapest, uh, and also in the regional format an ally of of Mayor Chaskowski in Warsaw has announced on, on Saturday that he is going to run for the office of the Prime Minister of Hungary on the ticket of the United, uh, United Opposition. Uh, Karacson um, is under heavy bombardment from the uh, government Fidesz propaganda, from the media that are depending on him. So you, you, you see really a battlefield there uh, going on and the elections are nigh. You can, you can feel them in the air. I mean, essentially, Viktor Orban has militarized the public space for the purpose of running a continuous electoral campaign throughout the whole term. So this is nothing surprising, but this definitely, this moment of, of Karachan, um, Opening uh, this this new chapter in his political career has uh, has gave an incentive for uh, Orban to to attack. 
I mean, he might have some serious reasons to uh, to be afraid of, of losing power due to Karachan potential of coalition building. Uh, he's a bridge between parties as far from one another as the Yobik far far right and the uh, from you know the left wing parties or the Green parties. So. Uh, you know, holding it all together under one name of Karachin, uh, a lot hangs on one thread, so to say, on on on, on the thread here that is uh, constantly being uh, undercut, or their attempts are uh, there to, to undercut it. And uh, we will see. Uh, so far in the polls, they're neck to neck. Uh, some opinion polls indicate the United Opposition has an advantage uh, over uh, of the, Miss, Mr. Orban's um, war effort in the political campaigning, and the, and the public opinion seems to be in favor in general of the of the opposition. But it's always about uh, detail in Hungary because of the electoral system. You would uh, speak of a, of a Hungarian version of gerrymandering, uh, special districts that are set up uh, specifically uh, to to help Fidesz uh, win its uh, its seats. And maybe also to add that even in case of a loss, uh, there seems to be plenty of uh, strategies and mechanisms already put in place uh, of uh, moving state assets into private hands. Uh, we will have a story on that uh, soon at uh, Visegrad Insight by our uh, Visegrad Insight fellow, Edith Good. So um, you'll, you'll hear and read more about uh, the situation in Hungary then. Yes. Um, uh, to close the story on, on Hungarian elections, although, I mean, for, for this episode, the story is continuing, of course, from week to week and sometimes day to day. Um, the, the, we, we might just say that uh, Hungary has been um, under a lot of, you know, the, there, there are a lot of eyes on Hungary, and especially oppositional strategy. And it looks... Um, and it looks very much in contrast to what we see in, in Poland, as if they are really leading the way, first in the illiberal, uh, uh, in the illiberal direction, then um, the opposition failed a few times uh, miserably, and only after having those lessons, they, they went uh, to, to a united platform. Now, Hopes were for Poland, which also went uh, first after the direction set by Orban. And then f in the case of opposition, um, it seemed that the opposition is learning and it's behind the, cur the, the learning curve of, of what we could get from the situation in, in Hungary. Uh, and they would unite. But... Um, but maybe also Mr. Kaczynski and um, and his allies are learning from the experiences of the Hungarian opposition quicker than the opposition here. Anyway, there is a lot of comparison. We'll uh, uh, keep you posted. Meanwhile, I think the last element to uh, to mention is the, the recent uh, Israeli-Palestine uh, conflict, or should I say Israeli-Hamas conflict specifically. I mean, it's about the Hamas uh, missile launches and uh, Israeli response uh, that uh, that results in, in loss of um, human life on both sides in 
and in this situation, Central Europe also comes into the picture where one of the first supporters of this um, policy of Israel to, to respond quickly and swiftly and strongly uh, has been President Zeman, otherwise a controversial fellow, but a consistent ally of Israel. You could see a big flag of Israel um, showing in the media uh, coverage. Uh, Czechia has been a consistent supporter of Israeli cause and, and advocate of, um, of, of Israel on, on many occasions. Um, perhaps not surprisingly, but worth, uh, worth, noticing, worth noticing is that uh, Poland hasn't been mentioned. And, and the relationship between Poland and Israel remain at one of its lows after several years of difficult situations uh, provoked, among others, by, um, by memory loss in Poland. And, um, well, as recently uh, Jewish media reported, um, we had uh, we have a government that supports anti-Semitic uh, organizations in the country. So no wonder uh, <laughs> that Poland is not on this list. However, others would say, well, it's all right because uh, several other Western European countries are not on this list either. I guess we'll speak more about uh, this uh, after the break and in the following episodes as this story uh, is continuing. Have a look at our website, physicredinside.eu, for latest uh, analysis. This week, uh, as always, you can see there the weekly outlook with uh, developments from all across the region. We also have a very interesting story by Dominika Rafalska about uh, physical and sexual violence uh, in Poland and also Central Europe. And um, we'll also have, as mentioned in the first uh, part of the episode, Edith's good writing on um, Hungary and how Fidesz is already preparing in case of a possible defeat and then later this week also more on uh, what separates anti-vaxxers from uh, vaccination skeptics in central europe Bucharest 9 Summit took place last week in Romania on the 10th of May the nine heads of states from NATO's eastern flank countries met to discuss their perspectives on security and bring together a joint communication, uh, a message of allied solidarity. For the first time ever um, the format has existed, it was joined also by President of the United States. Joe Biden's remarks uh, were widely uh, commented and, and read uh, across the board by all NATO member countries, but also, of course, they were important in the countries of the region. Ovidiu Dranga, an outgoing ambassador of Romania to Warsaw, has invited Visegrad Inside podcast to his embassy to discuss the role of Romanian diplomacy in the making of the Bucharest 9 format possible in the first place uh, from, from his perspective of eight years in the office here in Poland. And, um, and ahead of his departure to Japan, he, we spoke with him and asked him questions also about the developments of regional cooperation um, over the last eight years and the future ahead, also from the point of view of democratic security, that were the undertones in President Biden's message. 
Diplomacy is very much similar to politics. It is about uh, opportunities and context uh, as much as it is about values and institutions. So the uh, the embassy of Romania in in, um, in Poland provided arguments uh, in favor of a uh, strengthened, coordinated, and meaningful uh, regional cooperation uh, among the frontline states uh, belonging to the so-called eastern flank of NATO. That was uh, actually triggered by. Um, the evolutions in our eastern neighborhood in uh, in 2014, especially the illegal occupation of Crimea. Uh, and I think uh, we had actually uh, two options at that moment. I mean, we meaning um, uh, countries uh, on the eastern flank. First option to treat that evolution, that dramatic uh, change of paradigm, if I may say so, following the occupation of Crimea, as business as usual and doing nothing. And the second option was to um, orchestrate a reaction to this uh, this uh, um, security challenge, uh, very serious, very tangible. And I think uh, the second option was uh, uh, the best option. We adopted it uh, uh, quite uh, uh, quickly in the summer of 2014. Uh, I, I remember very well I was already ambassador of Romania to Poland. Uh, President Obama visited Warsaw, Warsaw for, on the occasion of the 25th anniversary of the first uh, free elections in, uh, in the communist um, uh, area of Europe uh, in 1989. And he um, invited leaders of Central Europe for a conversation, uh, and at that conversation, I remember very well, um, he said uh, uh, that he supports uh, frontline states belonging to Central Europe. That was the initial point uh, of a discussion about how to create uh, and consolidate uh, uh, meaningful regional cooperation on security and defense. Actually, an alliance within the alliance, because everything we did from the very beginning was aimed at creating um, or stimulating a reaction of NATO as a whole in favor of consolidating the eastern flank and making the eastern flank um, a, a, a very relevant and very, very much important for NATO's agenda, um, as that agenda was supposed to be reshaped and adapted to new realities. And our first success was, uh, well, uh, the fact that uh, uh, leaders in Romania and Poland, or presidents, um, uh, um, displayed a, a, high, a high level of courage, of political courage, in assuming the responsibility to initiate a discussion in this format. Because nobody knew from the very beginning what could have been, the, what could be the outcome of such an endeavor. So it was risky. Uh, things could have done, could have been, uh, uh, how shall I say, um, stopped by uh, a number of, of obstacles. Uh, but they took the initiative. And President Johannes and President Duda um, uh, hosted, I remember, in 2015, the first B9 uh, uh, summit in Bucharest. And that was a, a very successful moment, a very successful, uh, successful endeavor because it showed that dialogue on security matters and cooperation with a clear objective are possible in Central Europe beyond our uh, belonging to the European Union and NATO. It was something that showed a commonality of views, a commonality of perceptions. Uh, um, I remember the first declaration adopted uh, on that occasion showed the commitment of those countries to, to cooperate for the benefit of NATO and distant flank um, uh, with uh, some very, 
how shall I say, achievable objectives. Things have uh, been uh, developed uh, in the meantime. Now we had uh, already, we have uh, we have hosted in Bucharest the fourth summit, as far as I, I think it's correct, the fourth summit of the, of the B9 format. In, 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 in between those uh, summits, I think we have uh, organized uh, um, two or three uh, ministerial uh, meetings of the B9 countries and two defense ministerial. Foreign affairs uh, three and uh, two uh, on, on, on defense with the participation of defense ministers. Uh, but uh, this, I would say, is not enough. We should continue to, um, uh, how shall I say, um, broaden the, um, the um, participation in terms of stakeholders, I think, think tanks from uh, uh, B9 countries should assemble more often. We can create a B9 consortium of defense academies. We can organize events in others in, in areas like cyber defense or, uh, or um, hybrid, uh, hybrid uh, threats. So in principle, uh, what this, uh, this uh, uh, format has brought to the table is the commitment and the capacity of nine countries, of nine allies to coordinate their efforts in consolidating uh, the defense posture of NATO along its eastern flank. Now you asked me about the, the latest. Yes, the latest. This 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 summit was was historic historic summit. If I may, if I may, because of two, if not three reasons. First, this was the first B9 meeting attended by the president of the United States. President Biden uh, had an intervention, I would say a very uh, um, substantial intervention in, in, uh, in the summit. Uh, of course, it was a video intervention because it was a hybrid format. Uh, President Duda and President Johannes uh, were um, uh, present uh, in person in Bucharest and all the other um, had interventions uh, on, uh, uh, on, the, on the internet. And President Biden uh, gave a very a strong message we care about this region, we care about the eastern flank, we care about uh, allied solidarity uh, and we care very much about the capacity of countries uh, belonging to NATO to um, um, respond uh, credibly um, to any uh, threat coming from the east. Um, secondly, the declaration adopted uh, was uh, in, 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 uh, in, uh, in itself an achievement uh, because it's not difficult always, it's not easy always to accommodate nine perceptions or nine positions on a certain document, but this was possible. A strong message of solidarity was given to the Czech Republic and Bulgaria for following the events that we all know uh, happened there. <clears throat> uh, and uh, uh, this was, uh, I would say, um, uh, significant and relevant for the, uh, the Allied solidarity in general. We have to respond, at least we can express our solidarity with those uh, that have suffered uh, attacks, non-conventional or sub-conventional attacks, like it happened in the Czech Republic and in Bulgaria. Uh, and the third reason why this summit was historical was, is, is that it, 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 has, it has indicated the way ahead for the B9 summit, for the B9 format. First, uh, it's uh, direct link and uh, connection with the uh, forthcoming uh, um, NATO summit in June. So I think many ideas expressed or reflected in the declaration in Bucharest will be reflected in the joint communique of NATO in June. 
And uh, um, one of the idea, of course, being continuing the, uh, the open door policy of NATO, continuing uh, the cooperation between NATO and the European Union and, and things like that. So I think these three elements together um, provided a, a, a message. This format is, is, is alive. This format is um, um, providing uh, solutions and ideas. This format is contributing uh, directly to, um, how shall I say, um, a, a political atmosphere that is conducive to, how shall I say, um, uh, um, a tough, responsible, uh, and uh, um, uh, credible uh, uh, deterrence uh, in facing any, once again, any threat coming from, from the East. So um, I think we have done a huge uh, step forward with this. Yes, definitely. Uh, Bucharest 9 is, is something that holds together the security perspective very close to hearts and, and minds in, in Poland and also in the Baltic states. I, I'm wondering, you know, if you can tell a little bit about the kitchen, how of, of diplomatic kitchen, so to say, of, um, you know, how much this like-mindedness was, uh, was ensured in case of other partners that do not share the similar perception, um, or I wouldn't say the similar perception, similar intensity of the threat perception, because uh, that differs across the region. If we, if we look at, at Hungary or we, if we look to, to countries that have geographical distance, even uh, somehow defined uh, in a different way than, than Warsaw or Bucharest. Um, well, I, I, I think, I think uh, I mean, the short answer is uh, look at the outcome. The outcome is positive. So uh, it's not necessarily relevant, or maybe it's not as, as relevant as one may think, uh, what happened before that. So the outcome is clear. The declaration was adopted. The messages were uh, um, robust, to say the least. Um, I think who, who followed the, um, the, the messages and read the communique uh, understood the message very well. I'm, I'm sure, and and that's that's why that's why I think um, uh, I, I'm I'm telling this always uh, to friends to colleagues. Sometimes it is important that an event like this takes place. In itself, it carries it carries a message. <laughs> the fact that we meet and we discuss, and nobody can anticipate 100% what would be the outcome. In this case, it was a very positive outcome. Despite, of course, discussions, but discussions are, uh, and, and some some controversies. But this is uh, this is normal. I mean, we are we are uh, an, ally, an alliance of, of, of free countries uh, with uh, with um, sometimes uh, different perceptions, but uh, I would say compatible, uh, complementary, to put it this way. And and I think I think um, uh, the very fact that in the end we reached consensus is indicative about the. Um, the maturity uh, of, of our leaders uh, in, in attack in, in uh, um, um, addressing addressing security matters of such an importance, uh, and I think it also uh, shows the maturity of our cooperation. It's it's obvious. It's uh, it's easy to anticipate. Uh, sometimes we have uh, well different uh, different ideas about things that happen. You know, it's not it's something. I mean, I wouldn't expect. 
that everybody uh, has identical visions or perceptions about anything. It's, it's impossible. No. On the other hand, uh, you know, coming to the table with a different angle uh, helps the enriches the discussion. And at the end of the day, the overall uh, perception is, is, uh, is, is better. Oh, what I would so, say, definitely, what I would say is despite uh, some differences in perception, uh, the, the very fact that there is a joint communique is, is, should be in diplomatic terms considered a success. Absolutely. So that is, absolutely. That, that is the... But what's important to know, and, and that's uh, uh, something I'm very proud of uh, uh, as a diplomat, is that uh, um, I think the, there is a, a, common, a common understanding among, among diplomats in Central Europe and especially among diplomats in B9 countries, that this is a good idea. Uh, and this is a good project. And I, we are very much happy that our leaders, once again, had the political courage to take it over and, 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 and accept and listen to our arguments. Because it was not only Bucharest or Warsaw uh, who, well, uh, contributed to this. All other countries made their contribution. Um, one of uh, two, two summits took place, uh, I think, uh, one was in Košice, I think, and uh, there was another one um, in uh, uh, another country, I don't remember now, but in any case, Uh, it's, it's not only Bucharest and Warsaw, you know, who are pushing ahead. They have been, well, maybe uh, uh, setting the agenda at the beginning and uh, uh, tried to mobilize all others, uh, well, and, and, and convince them that this is something worth doing. But once again, the, the success belongs to all nine countries. Uh, yeah. And that's very important, I think. And security perspective is just one of the perspectives of the of the region, and I I think uh, th that's that's also a good moment to to switch a topic right. a bit. Uh, we 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 might say now announce that you are soon to assume office in uh, in Tokyo in, in, Japan, in Japan, moving from Warsaw after a long career here in 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 setting uh, Romanian presence. Well, in Poland and in the region, and, and joining uh, many many of the regional initiatives, I wanted to ask you a few questions. Uh, looking back at at uh, what has been achieved in terms of uh, of the regional cooperation, yours and Romania perspective uh, on the things of how, where region is going. Let me start first with uh, the bilateral dimension. I think uh, Romania and Poland set the tone of a, a very sophisticated process uh, we are not fully aware of at this moment. The process of rediscovering uh, ourselves in the region reciprocally. It means that, uh, well, after a long time, uh, look back when we looked to the, uh, uh, to, to, to mainly to the West, Now we have started to look to our north, to our south, to rediscover each other, to, to, look, uh, to look with the same attention to, uh, to uh, Warsaw uh, or to Prague or to, to Bratislava, the same attention that we are looking to Berlin, to Paris and to London. So it's a natural evolution. So um, everything we do, I think, in the region uh, contributes to this process of rediscovering each other. Now, in terms of Uh, uh, achievements. Uh, first of all, I think uh, there is a growing sense of uh, uh, um, a uh, geopolitical identity of Central Europe within NATO, within the European Union. By meeting uh, in, uh, in, in this B9 format, by um, interacting in the Three Seas Initiative uh, format uh, as well, and V4, we are actually uh, uh, sending a message to everybody. 
especially to our friends and allies in, in Europe and, the, and NATO. We are mature enough and responsible enough to have a voice, a stronger voice, a, a professional voice in the decision-making process within NATO and the European Union. So we have won this position uh, after a, a, a long time of, of achievements, uh, a long time of um, contributions, tangible contributions to European security, European prosperity, and European European future. Um, if you speak, if we speak about the future of um, both NATO and the, the European Union, so we are here to stay and to contribute. We are uh, responsible members of both uh, both institutions, and we are ready to contribute to their uh, consolidation. So that's. I would say the, the main um, achievement, the fact that Central Europe is a voice, a voice that is, uh, cannot be ignored, obviously, by anybody, and on the contrary, a voice that has been uh, uh, proving its, um, how shall I say, its force, its uh, quality, its clarity, in, in various instances, uh, I'm not going very much, uh, you know, uh, back in history, in the real, recent history, we've been in Afghanistan, in Iraq, we've contributed to uh, the fight against terrorism, we are fighting, uh, uh, you know, in, in so many areas and theaters alongside our allies, and that's, that's something we should not forget. Uh, so we have been loyal partners and allies, uh, and uh, uh, because we think if we because we think nothing is for granted. We have to contribute and to make our, our place uh, solid within the alliance. So then the second thing is that, well, Central Europe has become a key point, an attractive point, I would say, if not a key point, uh, on the uh, geopolitical map of the world. We, ha we are here 100 million um, citizens, one-fifth of the EU population. Uh, in Central Europe, a lot of um, key manufacturing facilities have been located or, or relocated. Uh, in Central Europe, we have key elements of global supply chains, and that's an objective we, we should, we should, we should uh, follow. How to become um, more and more, uh, you know, um, um, embedded in, in new supply chains that are redesigned globally. Uh, and that's a discussion that have to be uh, have to be uh, uh, how, shall I, how shall I say um, framed appropriately with the business community, with the academic community. Uh, I, I have to tell you, I'm very proud that uh, there was an initiative taken by a number of uh, Romanian universities and uh, um, uh, Romanian um, companies. They have um, uh, decided to create a consortium that would ask for uh, support from the government in order to develop uh, uh, microprocessors, uh, chips uh, 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 in Romania to develop some uh, production capacities uh, or to invest in uh, uh, research and development. So you see, you see, this is, this is already uh, happening. There is a, a, an increased awareness of our relevance and our force. Uh, once again, in a, a competition for relevance that has taken uh, different shapes. It's not only about uh, hosting missiles, tanks, uh, forces. It is about hosting uh, key production facilities. 
It is so, definitely. If we look in a global perspective, there is one other point of relevance which holds together NATO and the EU. And I think uh, President Biden mentioned that in his uh, uh, final remarks at the, at the Bucharest 9 summit, which is the democratic security. Let's Absolutely. put it, uh, the, this is the context. And this is what places us on the map as we are, vis-a-vis, -vis, I mean, democracies vis-a-vis Uh, global authoritarian trends or global, global rivals to uh, revisionist powers simply. Uh, we mentioned China or Russia. You spoke of, of uh, Russia predominantly coming from the, the dangers coming from the East. There are, uh, there are of course, uh, processes that, that China is also sponsoring and it's becoming more and more visible also across the region. But I wanted to uh, hear your points also on, you know, What in this regional um, cooperation uh, the countries can do to overturn some of the negative processes? I mean, th there is observable elements of democratic backsliding. How much of that is or should be the discussion from the Romanian perspective? Well, interaction helps. Interaction helps uh, people understand what's uh, um, the perspective from abroad. What's the um, what is uh, um, how shall I say uh, jeopardizing um, our common uh, fight for principles and values? Uh, once again, uh, the first line of defense um, uh, for countries like ours, who have recently, uh, you know, um, quite recently, 30 years ago escaped communism and uh, dictatorship uh, is is respecting and promoting human rights that's obvious i mean and of course respecting and promoting uh, international law um, it's not it's not a secret uh, countries like ours um, have been always advocating you know the rule of law and the importance of uh, respecting uh, treaties and commitments Uh, fully respecting our 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 commitments uh, as uh, the treaties have um, have expressed that very clearly so anything that goes wrong in a country that belongs to this family is a problem of everybody else so it's a matter of concern because we are together in this and uh, if we are together in this we have to assume that uh, well Uh, sometimes uh, we have to listen to what our friends and partners have to say about our behavior without, well, um, uh, how shall I say, um, running the risk of um, creating the impression that we are giving lessons uh, or teaching anybody. No, it is about respecting a list of principle, full stop. Um, that's measurable. Uh, some say it is not as measurable as, uh, uh, you know, measuring uh, temperature. But, uh, uh, well, I think that we have indicators for that as well. And um, to, my, to my mind, uh, we have not crossed, I mean, countries in, in, in the B9 format have not crossed, any of them has not crossed, uh, have not crossed any red line yet. So I think uh, the discussions are, well, uh, about... Uh, <coughs> various degrees of, of, of uh, how shall I say, uh, mm, uh, compliance with uh, some principles and, 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 uh, and uh, um, well, standards. I think, once again, there is no uh, red line that has been crossed by any country in this region. This is, the, this is my point of view, this is my personal point of view. Of course, you might have arguments against, I respect that, but this is my, 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 my perspective after eight years of, 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 of mandate in Poland, after uh, around the, uh, uh, 30 years of, of, of uh, diplomatic activity. Uh, and I say that because I'm looking to the Poles, 
And I'm looking to what the public opinion uh, has to say about that. For instance, in all these countries, the pro-European um, uh, support uh, is, is very high, above 60-70%. And stay, it stays there. It is no, there is no, I don't see any, any risk of going down. Secondly, um, I see a vibrant civil society in all nine countries. I see uh, a free press. Of course, the definition of free press maybe is not the, the same everywhere, but at least we have standards that uh, are, are observed, as far as I know, uh, in all these countries. And, you know, uh, on the other hand, um, you, I have, I have, I have a friend, a British friend, who used to say, when you, um, uh, when there is a, 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 a dead cat on the table, you can see that there is no cat table, not dead cat on the table yet. So, uh, uh, I think this is this is uh, this is uh, um, something I I, I I can I can I can say, but of course, once again. Um, uh, the fight for democracy, for liberty, for freedom is um, a, a fight that never stops. We have to be vigilant. The fact that we meet in various formats helps because this, these are the opportunities to exchange views and to draw the attention to things. And one thing is to, uh, you know, for, um, you know, uh, one thing is a discussion in a B9 format, a friendly one, uh, friendly, a uh, more, uh, how should I say, uh, yeah, Informal discussion. Other, the other thing is to go to, to Brussels in a formal meeting in uh, some of those committees and be, you know, uh, um, uh, well, given uh, some some observations that are uh, very much uh, very much you know formal. And so it's it's important to communicate, to express views, to accommodate, uh, and that's 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 why B nine V four three Cs are useful. This was Ovidiu Dranga, outgoing ambassador of Romania to Warsaw and incoming ambassador of Romania to Japan. Uh, thank you for listening. Quincy Klut, Wojciech Przybylski. This was Visegrad Inside Podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Do subscribe to this uh, podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to rate it. Five-star rating is most appreciated. And uh, do subscribe to our services at visegradinside.eu. 